You are listening to the Tech Chef Podcast. This is episode number 76, July 18th, 2023. This show is powered by Constrata.io. Leading with operations, solving with technology. This is Toby Malvik, Managing Director of Constrata Consulting, and you're listening to Skip on the Tech Chef Podcast. Off-premise strategy, business continuity, how about a taste test of restaurant technology, drive-thru or curbside, mobile apps or AI, it's all on the menu, cook it up for the day, it's a recipe for success. You're in good hands with a tech chef. Make a plan to be your best. Strategize with the tech chef. Welcome to the Tech Chef, an oasis of invaluable wisdom and tactics tailored to empower your triumph in the ever evolving landscape of hospitality and food service technology. As your host, Skip Kimple, I stand prepared to lead you on a delectable expedition through a weekly banquet of innovative ideas and revolutionary approaches that will spark your creativity and drive your enterprise to new heights. Whether you're a seasoned industry expert or a fresh face in the field, our diverse array of expert advice and exclusive tips promises a delightful experience for all. Fueled by an unwavering passion for merging technology and hospitality, our mission is to serve you with the latest trends and advancements, ensuring you maintain a competitive edge. Prepare to delve into a boundless world of knowledge. Our podcast is the ideal complement, ensuring you stay informed and inspired on your path to greatness. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button and join us every week for an infusion of game-changing insights and strategies. Back with us today is Managing Director of Constrata Consulting, Mr. Toby Melbach. This episode is dedicated to the two hospitality shows that recently happened. The Industry Standard High Tech, brought to you by HFTP, which was held in Toronto, and the brand new hospitality show put on by the AHLA in Las Vegas at the Venetian Hotel. Both of these shows happen at the same exact time, so Toby and I decided to divide and conquer, as many others did as well. Today's recap will highlight overarching themes, similarities, as well as differences between the two shows. Enjoy. It never gets old. <laughs> and, and, and better than the Flash sequel, it gets better and better. <laughs> exactly. Well, we are here today to talk about high tech versus the hospitality show. It was a very interesting scenario this year, uh, being in competition with each other a little bit. But we won't go into the politics or the details of that. I went to the hospitality show while you headed up to Toronto. How was everything in Toronto? It was good. It was actually the uh, the vendor population was very very good. I mean, there, I I was not sure what to expect given the the situation that you just kind of alluded to that there was a a fair amount of uh, consternation and grumpiness about two, you know, what will be premier hospitality shows coincidentally occurring on the same time frame. Um, 
again, I believe that will be rectified for next year. But what it tended to do was was split up an audience. Um, and so there were a couple of real challenges. I mean, those of you may remember, there was awful weather um, during that weekend or uh, leading up to that time. Yeah. So the weather was bad. There was a lot of travel challenges. Toronto is not necessarily an inexpensive place to get to. Uh, the venue, it's great. I mean, it's, it's downtown Toronto. It's very close to literally everything. Toronto is a great conference town. It really is. There's so much going on and so much happening happening. I, I honestly wish we did more things in, in, in Canada. It's just expensive to get to and it's expensive to stay there, but uh, kudos to the uh, to the supplier community showed up in force. Uh, I don't recall a high-tech with as many vendors. Uh, very, very good representation from that side of the coin. Um, the, the population of attendees was obviously split against across two conferences and, and you you saw that um and to the the vendors um to their credit most of them appreciated and understood that knew this was kind of a one-off uh scenario and uh kind of moved on from that i, I heard very little very little grumpiness as it related to that well you bring up a good point next year i mean for whatever reason the two ended up on the same day this year uh but uh next year they will be separated out so we'll see I, you know, the hospitality show is new. They're still trying to find their voice. First of all, whoever holds a conference in Las Vegas, this is at the Venetian Hotel, in July is crazy. You couldn't go outside. It was like 150 degrees outside. It was insane. What we discovered at the hospitality show, it seemed like everybody started out at high tech and then spent a day or two there and then transitioned over to the hospitality show. So you found a lot of the attendees trying to do both shows, but given some of the travel challenges, I think uh, it caused the hospitality show's attendance to suffer a little bit. Another interesting thing I noticed is that a lot of the vendors had dual presence at both shows because they felt like it was, uh, they almost had to be because they didn't know how that hospitality show was going to shake out. Right. I was curious. I, I, rem I remember seeing that there were a lot of operators that actually exhibited at the hospitality show. Is that right? What was what was the outcome of that? What was the what was the end game for that? I, I didn't I wasn't sure I understood that. So it was a very interesting show, very different than high tech, I think. Um, so you had your typical suppliers and then you had hotel groups, operators that were selling their franchisees or franchisee opportunities uh, to the marketplace out there. So that's that's why you saw all those operators listed in the mm. show floor. Um, but then you had chocolate makers and you had, it was, it was a strange show. Um, and the attendance seemed to be very light from the, um, from the operator side. But <laughs> once again, a learning lesson for everybody. First of all, do not have competing shows on the same topic at the same time. Duh. Yeah, and, and <laughs> as you were talking about the heat in Vegas, we had challenges in Toronto with the, with the uh, the forest fires. Oh yeah, um, so that so the air quality was very very poor. Again, that led to some challenges with travel. So I know people that planned to do both. Some opted at the eleventh hour not to do it, and other ones were were really challenged with the the whole travel logistics. So all in all, it was a it was a challenging uh, couple of days. You can't plan for wildfires, but you can plan <laughs> for heat in July in Vegas. Just saying. That's true. So anything from a technology perspective that really stuck out on the floor as you walked around in Toronto? 
Well, it, it, I think that, that the hotel hospitality industry is really going in the same direction as the restaurant industry. And, and as most of the folks who listen to us know, most of what we do, most of the content we create is, is very restaurant-centric. And But uh, from a hospitality standpoint, the, the hotel industry is, is also leveraging uh, the power of AI and artificial intelligence. And so the restaurant industry, which tends to be a little bit slower than the hotel industry, tends to have fewer resources. If you looked at them in the order of, of, you know, of importance and investment, the retail industry is always the quickest to jump on it. The margins are the heaviest. Hospitality industry, the margins are good. By the time you get to the restaurant industry, margins are tight. So they typically will wait to see how retail and hospitality um, address things like artificial intelligence and, and its practicality and its business cases. And then they try to leverage those and not have to make huge investments that might be written off. There are very few restaurant organizations, perhaps a Starbucks, perhaps Panera, perhaps a, a McDonald's that have the R&D, uh, you know, budget, if you will, to be able to do those types of things. But what was interesting about um, some of the sessions that I listened to at Hitech was to talk about some practical and dare I say really exciting applications for AI. And you know, we got to recognize that, that uh, in its early stages, AI is not very, we'll, we'll say creative or um, imaginative, but there are some very interesting applications. And I want to share one with you that, that was brought up uh, and that one of the speakers talked about the idea of data and generative AI. And one of the instances that they gave, which which is not all that intuitive until you think about it, is, is to use AI to do something like uh, answer FAQs. And you'd say, well, that can't be there. very difficult. You know, what are the hours of the spa or do you accept dogs or things like that? But the next generation of AI is taking it even a step further. So, so think about this. And the, the speakers brought up this question. If you ask the AI automated um, you know, FAQ, can I bring my Tesla? Okay. The first thing is it has to know that a Tesla is a car. Okay. The next thing it has to know is that Tesla is an electric car. So it has to know a couple of things to answer that question knowledgeably. It has to know that it indeed is a car, that it is an indeed electric car. So now it's got to say, yes, we have parking and we have charging ports and we have those things available at certain locations and whether or not there's costs associated with those. So a simple question to a human, to another human, would elicit that full response. But now when we're looking at AI, we're starting to see that we can have that depth and richness of a response as we start to get into some of the more, um, let's call it sophisticated AI and generative AI. The other thing that was talked about is that if, if you talk about data AI and generative AI, if you ask 10 questions to a, uh, in, in the world of um, generative, uh, conversational AI, if you ask the same question 10 different ways, Skip, you're going to get the same answer every time. But in generative AI, if you ask 10 questions in very different ways, you're going to get very different answers. So generative AI, um, from a richness standpoint and from a customer service and a guest um, relationship management standpoint, is really where the hospitality industry is going. Yeah, and that all comes down to the personalization of that conversation. That's what makes a, a guest feel comfortable actually interacting with AI. And it's funny because I think there is an overarching theme between both conferences because in at the hospitality show is obviously data, personalization, and AI was 
everywhere, and it was constantly talked about. Uh, we, uh, we had a session that I actually spoke at with a couple of colleagues of mine that we were speaking about how AI is being used in the restaurant side of things successfully. I know you and I always kid about you know, all these companies out there that say they're using AI when in, in fact it's just a formula in the background because AI is a buzz term that sells. Um, <laughs> but uh, we are starting to see more and more use, use cases for it. Um, one of them was by a company called Landed. Landed is a job recruitment platform that has a fully conversational AI engine built into it where it will do all those preemptive things for you, like uh, engage with that individual and get them an appointment and, a, and an interview so the general manager isn't wasting their time doing that. But they're doing very, very quick interactions so you don't lose that person because we all know that labor is very tough out there. I don't care in the hotel side, restaurant side, doesn't matter, uh, actually anywhere. Uh, labor is tough to find. And it's super important that once you engage and you find a lead, man, grab onto that lead and run with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and we saw a lot of the same type of things, again, on, on, at high tech, uh, as the vendors were talking about uh, how best to leverage some of these technologies. And in some cases, the, the, the hotel industry wants um, want solutions for this. You know, we have huge labor issues uh, in the hotel space, just like we do in the restaurant space. There's huge knowledge gaps. And there's also an expectation now, because if you look at a, a typical consumer in, the, in a typical consumer environment, whether it's Google or Echo or, or Amazon, there's an expectation that, that all of this information should be just generally available and hotels still rely very heavily on tribal knowledge on on a person answering the phone to be able to say what time is the spa open till or do you accept dogs or you know what kind of treatments are available um and and so the the situation is is still very much a human aspect but the reality is we see the writing on the wall and um in the next 10 years the hotel industry uh, more so really than the restaurant industry needs to leverage technology uh, to be able to combat and meet the expectations of a guest because guests expect 100% now. They, anything less than that uh, becomes an issue. And the, um, you know, one of the comments that was made was that um, the, the idea of, of one thing going wrong uh, is enough to, for you to lose all of your goodwill. So if you if you're a, a frequent traveler and you go to that uh, that particular resort or hotel or, or frequent that that chain, all it takes is one bad experience, and there's an expectation that you just know these things. How, how, how come you didn't know I wanted a high room? How come you didn't know that I'm allergic to to down pillows? Um, and all of those things because that information exists out there. And at some point in time, one of your hotels probably collected it. There is now an expectation that since it was collected by one, it's known by all and it would be leveraged by all. And the hotel industry, uh, it's just not there yet. Well, so I'm, I'm starting to see these uh, infancy stages of AI and being used in, in personalization and customization. Where I do see the hotel side of things going is that AI-driven concierge to create that experience for the guests where they don't have to act, interact with a, with a human. You know, that, that AI uh, robot can, and that voice can actually provide the consumer with the opportunity to figure out, you know, what their budget is, give them opportunities, do upselling, book restaurant space for them, book uh, uh, tea times, build, book spa times, whatever, and then build a custom experience for them just as you know, uh, a booking agent would. 
So <laughs> I really think that's where it goes, but it's going to take a little while to get there with data sharing, data privacy, all of that fun stuff that we have to deal with in a regulatory process. But I, you know, that's where the value of AI really comes into play. Yeah. The average guest really doesn't understand the complexity that's involved with that. And um, I, I worked for, for many, many years with one of the high-end resort property management systems out there. And we built very early on, well before its time, a, a booking engine that had to take into account a lot of these very interesting scenarios. Uh, if, if all of a sudden you and your wife are traveling and you want to uh, play a round of golf and your wife wants to have a spa experience and then you want to get back together to have uh, to have dinner. It sounds simple enough, but the aspects of timing and the aspects of service and the aspects of availability, uh, how far do you have to go to get to them? How do you get from one to another? Can you make it from here to there? Are all things that we do humanly now, either again, through tribal knowledge of the resort, knowing that the golf course is actually quite close to the fine dining restaurant, but the spa is actually, you know, I don't know, a quarter of a mile away and you've got to get a golf cart. So we're going to have to schedule somebody to bring the golf cart. All of those things have to be automated in, in some form of AI to allow somebody to now take on that experience and book it themselves. And the casual uh, traveler doesn't really concern themselves with your problems. They just assume that those things, because in their normal life, they can do it. Why can't they do it in, in, a, in a hospitality environment? Um, big shoes to fill going forward. That's true. That's true. Another interesting thing I noticed you know, COVID, I believe, sparked the inspiration and the uh, development process of many different technologies in the restaurant side. You and I have always said that restaurants are far behind the hotel industry. I'm almost starting to see a shift there because one of the sessions was, you know, what can uh, what can hotels learn from the restaurant industry and the advancements and the scrappiness that the restaurants were able to uh, put forward just due to their you know constraints and their necessity to stay alive. And so there was some interesting crossover. I think hotels are potentially less in tune to actually ad adapt so quickly. Um, they're gonna they're gonna think through things a little bit deeper. Um, where you found restaurants really making some pretty <laughs> pretty rash decisions during COVID, but once again they had to survive. Yeah, and the other thing too is if you look at high tech and the audience at high tech, high tech tends to be the large brands that go there. You you don't get as many independent single single owner restaurant uh, hotels, and the restaurant industry is still has a large number of uh, let's call them entrepreneurial brands or smaller brands that that are still small enough to be agile and nimble. Uh, the hotel industry is really dominated by major players, and as major players, it takes a long time to turn takes a long time to make major decisions like that. Uh, when they do, you start to see the price of those technologies come down. Uh, you see the uh, the economies of scale take place. But the restaurant industry, I would argue, is kind of the speedboat that goes between the waves. And the hotel industry tends to be the, the cruise ship that just hammers its way through the waves. And ultimately, the best solution uh, should be that uh, the hotel industry can avail themselves of some of the technologies. As you just said, that the restaurant industry has has pioneered and be able to uh, commercialize them, uh, make them more economical through economies of scale and, and look at ways to, uh, to actually implement them. Well, some interesting things that hotels could take on low-lying fruit really are, you know, if you have excess capacity in your kitchens, you know, the large brands, they probably do. And there's opportunity there to bring in virtual brands or dark kitchens and ship food out the back door via 
via third-party delivery. So, you know, there's some interesting aspects that I don't think the hotel industry has really put a lot of time, thought, and effort into. Now, maybe they have, and they decided, nah, not worth it. (laughs) We make more revenue by just concentrating on our core product here. But uh, I do believe there's some opportunity in several different areas. Food lockers. You know, how many times have you and I stayed in, in hotels across the world and it's late at night and you want to order food, but, you know, with a hotel, it can be funky sometimes through third-party delivery where if they had a branded food locker, for instance, brand of the hotel, not brand of the third-party delivery, but a place, a digital locker where they could drop their food and it would automatically ping the guest, hey, your food's ready, it's in locker 332, you go down there, scan it, open and get your, get your food, so... Ideas like yeah. that are, are kind of emerging and being talked about now. Yeah, I think for whatever reason, the, the restaurants in, in hotels in, in the Western countries tend to be looked at as, as a necessary uh, component to help the, the actual stay element. Whereas if you've ever traveled to the East uh, in China, in Japan, Singapore, and so on, a lot of major restaurants are in hotels. So I believe that there's still opportunity for hotels to, to make F and B a, a, a valued um, business center or, or, you know, a revenue center. Unfortunately, since COVID, we've seen the, the restaurant actually get diminished in hotels, not actually being enhanced. Uh, hours are less, options are less in terms of, uh, of on the menu. So it's going, unfortunately, in my opinion, in the opposite direction, as opposed to being an opportunity to differentiate uh, your brand with restaurants and, and making a, a large statement within culinary, doing the things you're talking about, whether it's that's extending beyond the four walls of the restaurant, whether that's through food lockers or whether that's through delivery. Uh, restaurants in, in the Far East deliver, you know, hotel restaurants deliver. Right. And so it's it's a very different model. I don't know why it hasn't been as successful here. Uh, I'm sure we could get a hotelier on to, to speak to that, but it is a very different model and it's not getting better. It's actually getting worse in hotels in Western. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Because how many, you're seeing all these little marketplaces, even some pretty substantial hotels. I mean, yes, they do have some restaurants, but you're seeing the marketplaces where you're getting more of this prepackaged food. Now, one of the ideas that did come out of this conference was the thought of putting these high quality autonomous vending machines. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a few of them out there that are pretty cool. And it's fresh food that's actually being cooked inside the vending machine and, uh, you know, delivered out to you. So, you don't have to go get your hot pockets or, <laughs> or whatever. Oh, thank God. Uh, exactly. You could actually get a quality meal um, out of a vending machine, you know, fresh mm-hmm. fresh salads, things like that. But um, I, I hadn't seen before, but on the streets of Toronto, actually very near my hotel, was a self-service coffee uh, product. And uh, it, it had a glass sheet that came down. And so you slid your credit card in and the, the glass, um, you know, acrylic you know, protector came up and there was a machine and you ordered whether it was espresso or, or whatever you wanted and it dropped the cup down and it made you a cup of coffee and it, and it was like an ATM and, and it was on literally on Young Street in the streets of Toronto. And I, I, that may exist in other, in other areas. I had not seen one in the U.S. before. So that level of automation continues to, uh, to be successful. And uh, again, I don't see why you couldn't do something like that in a hotel where, uh, you know, after hours or in, in situations like that, because restaurants uh, in hotels uh, continue to be an afterthought. And uh, as I said, I, I don't see that improving anytime soon, sadly. So did you have a chance to go to any sessions while you were at the show? 
Um, the only things that, I mean, it was it was really quite good from a networking perspective. So I, I spent a little bit of time with a session that Salesforce put on, um, which I thought was very interesting. It talked a lot about AI. Uh, I spent a little bit of time with two of the major PMS vendors in space, uh, both Oracle and Shiji. Um, many of you may not know about Shiji, but they're a company out of China that has uh, quietly entered in the U.S. marketplace. Um, they haven't done... Um, an awful lot on, on the food and beverage side, but are very successful on the PMS side. And uh, so understood a little bit about what they were working on. Uh, some of the things that they're working on are, are payment solutions uh, and very much what we were just talking about before, this idea of a booking engine uh, to allow a guest to to uh, to create the experience, if you will. So uh, both Shiji and Oracle, I thought, did an excellent job of, of allowing, uh, they did consultant sessions for the consulting community to kind of get an idea of what they're up to. And I think I think we shared uh, there was good audience for both and there was really kind of a, a perception that this kind of information is very helpful especially for an organization like a constrata where again we don't sell a product per se but the more we're educated about what you're up to the better off we can we can represent uh, their products and solutions so um but you know I, I just think from a from a networking perspective there was a lot going on it's great to catch up with with the vendors in space uh you still see it's it's fascinating i always wonder you know what year it will be that we will no longer see uh, a hotel telephone vendor there or a hotel pay-per-view vendor because the landscape is changing so quickly but you still see them and i'm i'm i ought to take bets to see when those will finally disappear but um, you know, obviously, a lot of information about infrastructure, uh, a lot about how to how to manage your uh, com- more and more complex network solutions, and then as we talked about before, just tons on CRM, AI, um, and other types of, of technologies like that, which the hotel industry is really going to have to lean on uh, over the next ten fifteen years. I swear, half the hotel rooms I stay in, the phones aren't even plugged in anymore. Even the, <laughs> and the, these are digital phones, and they're not even being utilized. And, you know, it's funny, we, we've talked about it for a decade or two, why hotels continue to be designed the way that they are. And uh, it, it comes up even at, at these conferences. We walk into a front desk. Now, how soon before we walk into a hotel and there is no front desk? Uh, you know, there, there really isn't a reason for a front desk anymore, because if you think about it, all a front desk is there for you to do is to register, uh, select a room and give a form of payment. Any reason that can't be done on your mobile phone? Of clearly not. And to get a key, is there any reason your phone can't be used as your key? Clearly not. So architecturally, there have to be some advancements. There've got to be people out there that are just saying, "We we need to redesign this." I remember even when I was in the hotel industry, going back decades, Four Seasons was in the process of removing the front desk and making it more of a conversational transaction where you would sit in the lobby and have a drink, and a person with a tablet would come talk to you. Well, it doesn't even have to be that anymore, but yet. We travel for a living. Obviously, a lot of people listening to this podcast travel for a living. We still have this conventional approach where we walk at a front desk at midnight and stand and wait for the night order to come out and then and check into the hotel. It, we've got to change that. That that has to change. Well, so this brings up a very interesting point. When was the last time you used a mobile key? Yeah, I, I don't think I've used one in quite a while. And, and, and unfortunately, and I hate to say this because being that I'm in the industry, I had a very bad experience once. I tried it again and I had a very bad experience again and I stopped using it. How about you? I used it for for a little while when they first became popular, but 
I had an older phone at the time, and by the time I got back from networking events, my phone was dead. So it defeated the entire purpose, and then I'd have to wait in line and actually get a key. So it's like, I, I don't do it anymore. I just don't. I know life is a lot easier if you do it, but I also feel that if I don't go to the front desk, I potentially lose the opportunity to engage and, and maybe get a, maybe get an upgrade or, or some, you know, that level of hospitality that we're, we're in the business of. I, once again, total mental block on my side, I should be using the mobile pass. Makes total sense for us to be doing that. We're technologists, but something about it. And I've asked this question to multiple people and I got to tell you, the majority of the people say, no, we don't use it either. Yeah. Yeah. And there have to be other answers. And too many people, I mean, there's nothing more frustrating as a business traveler than getting in very late, being tired, and then either having uh, no desk clerk there or a front desk agent there or having a line. And there should always be an alternative. There should be an option. And this is one of those areas that you've, you've talked about, that the restaurant industry is becoming even more progressive. I mean, we go to Vegas and we find kiosks. Absent of the Vegas market, have you seen a kiosk to check into any hotel? Uh, I, I know Club Quarters makes great, great use of them. But other than, can you mention a hotel chain that uses kiosks or self-service? to allow an option to check in the front desk? I can't think of one. Well, like you said, in Vegas there are, but even those are frustrating and I usually end up talking to somebody because it can't <laughs> completely fulfill my request. For instance, it's missing a deposit or it's overcharged me or whatever it is, it always involves a human. So I, you know, maybe for checkout, that's a whole different thing, but checking in, eh, it's, it's, it's not really, I feel like it's not perfected yet. Certainly from the smaller, the smart, not, not the smaller chains, but um, outside of the big entertainment conglomerate cities like Las Vegas. And, and to get back, to, to change gears back to what we are talking about before, the kind of the personalization aspect of, of hotels and hotel rooms, that technology and technologies like that have been around for decades. Uh, I remember traveling 10, 15 years ago, perhaps even 20 at this point, and Mandarin Oriental was doing an awful lot in terms of, of guest personalization, and they would capture in your profile the, the, the ideal temperature that you wanted the room, or the type of music that you liked, or the type of artwork that you enjoyed, and when you got up to your room, and again, granted, the, the price point was was uh, certainly a, a healthy one, but you'd get up to your room, and, and music that you enjoyed would be playing, and there would be a, 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 a portrait on the wall, which was literally just a screen and it would be displaying images that you you know that you either like or you 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 had in your library or so on so that personalization that capabilities exist the question is whether or not hotel industry the hotel industry um, wants to invest in those technologies and they see an ROI on them and it's something we face in the restaurant industry all the time right how long did it take for kiosks which have been available you know you know, in the marketplace for 20 years, we're only now seeing kiosks coming into into restaurants because they're, I guess, the, the price point and there's an ROI for them. So, Toby, we're about out of time here, unfortunately. I knew we could talk forever about these these <laughs> two shows. Do you have any final thoughts? You know, how how does this play out next year? What, what kind of shifts are you going to, you think we're going to see next year in the hospitality side? Well, as it relates to these conferences, I think it'll be it'll be much better when they get separated, and it'll be probably much better when uh, the uh, the other hotel conference kind of decides what what it wants to be. Because high tech is, is pure technology. I mean, there's nothing nothing non tech about it. It's it's uh, in, it's evolving technologies. It's existing technologies. You can always rely on all the uh, PMS vendors to be there, all of the yield management vendors, all of the GDS vendors. 
everybody that that is hotels, uh, you know, uniform technologies. I mean, anything, parking systems. So, if you are in the uh, in the need for any technologies that fall within the hotel space, high tech will, I think, continue to be the place to be. And hopefully, the two organizations will will collaborate as opposed to compete. Uh, again, this year, uh, let's hope that that was just kind of an aberration. Um, where the industry goes, I think, is better, more prudent use of data. I think it's cautious use of data. We have to be very careful. There is, there are some negative uh, headwinds that I would say uh, around data privacy that have people concerned a little bit. Not only how much data is out there on, an, on any individual, but also how that data is being used and how well it's being governed and protected. So I think that that the, the hotel industry has to be very careful about how it uses this data, but it also has to be able to benefit and and maximize its utility uh it's no good storing tons of gigabytes and and google bytes <laughs> actually there was a term that somebody used during one of their uh sessions that i'd never heard before in terms of the amount zettabytes of data and said that by 2025 there'd be uh 1002 about a thousand zettabytes of data out in the cloud and so uh you know how we use that will be very will be very important so i like to see continued use of ai practical uses of ai uh and uh and ROIable uses of data uh, as we improve the guest experiences and try to address the shortages and the labor challenges that face the hotel industry. ROIable, is that a word? It is now. Okay, good. Well, on that note, Toby, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today. As always, you have some great thoughts in regards to what's going on out there. It's always good to have you as a partner and working on these projects together and really you know, diving deep into the industry and really figuring out, you know, not only what's here today, but where, where's the puck headed, as you like to say. Thanks, Skip. It's been fun. Luckily, we won't be in the same position next year as these two shows land on different dates and times. Why was that done this year, you might be asking yourself? Well, I will let you do your own Google research. This is one I'm not taking sides on. If you'd like to comment on this show or reach out for any reason, you can do so via Everything Social at Skip Kimple or Everything at Constrata. This includes Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can also visit the website at skipkimple.com for all of the archive shows and show notes as well. And you can also hear these new episodes on the Constrata website at constrata.io. And of course, you can always email me at skip.kimple at constrata.io. Next week, I am excited to share with you the time that I had to chat with Troy Hooper, CEO of Hot Palette America, best known for their outrageously popular and delicious restaurant, Pepper Lunch. Troy has quite a bit to share with us regarding the growth of the organization, including building out a tech stack for an international operation. How is he going to pull this off? Well, you're going to have to tune in and find out. Well, it seems like every single episode, I'm about to fly out to another destination. And unfortunately, today is no different. Having said that, I better start heading for the airport. So until next Tuesday, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay hungry, my friends. My friends.